The following is a ministry of City Life Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. We hope you find this teaching encouraging and instructive. Perhaps you are currently a follower of Christ or are perplexed, skeptical, or even antagonistic to Christianity. Regardless, we would love to hear from you. Please contact us at info at citylifetc.org. Thank you for listening, and please contact us if we can be of service to you. Peace be with you. Please stand for the reading of God's word. This is Psalm 71. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge, to which I may continually come. For you have given the command to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you have I leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. I have been as a portent to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. For my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. O God, be not far from me. O my God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed. With scorn and disgrace may they be covered who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me. Until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who have to come. Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens, you who have done great things. O God, who is like you? You have made me see many troubles and calamities. You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also, which you have redeemed. And my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long, for they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stand forever. So good to be with you again. Uh, It's been uh, about a year and a half since I've had the opportunity to join you for a morning worship service. Um, On that time, you may recall, uh, since the days of my stepping down from the First Presbyterian Church in Hinckley, uh, after serving there for 32 years, um, and that was about three years ago, 
I uh, began preaching on the Psalms, starting at Psalm 1 and making my way through, and we've landed on 71 today, uh, the, the, uh, the, the elderly song, Psalm. <laughs> As I look out in the congregation, uh, I began to wonder, okay, why am I preaching this Psalm this morning? Uh, simply because we are all growing old. In fact, you are, you are five minutes older than when the reading of the scripture began, and you'll never recover those days again, and the clock will keep ticking. And we need to keep the perspective of eternity and the scope of God's covenantal dealings with his people over a lifetime. And if we do that, we find that there is great encouragement. So I will uh, invite you, if you have your Bibles, whether on your phone or in, uh, uh, on, on a conventional uh, book, uh, if you'd turn to Psalm 71, um, and we will uh, consider some of its themes, or perhaps maybe its major theme. Uh, before we begin, please allow me to pray and ask God's blessing on our time together this morning. Dear Lord, uh, bless us and keep us in this hour. We're thankful, Lord, for uh, the, the ability to join our voices together and lift them up in prayers and praise uh, to your throne of grace, to call upon your name at the throne and with the confidence that we can find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. We are thankful, Lord, for the word of God that you have spoken to us uh, in the pages of Scripture and you uh, enable us to hear your voice through the word and spirit when it is expounded. I pray, Lord, that that will be done in some measure faithfully this morning and that you would encourage our hearts with it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So it was about three years ago at the end of this month that I stepped down, and that was a huge decision, very scary for me at the time. And um, as I approached the retirement, the Lord seemed to lay upon my heart a verse in uh, Psalm 37, 25, and it reads, I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. This served as a badly needed reminder for me at that time of God's past faithfulness and his future promises as I was facing this transition in my life. The Lord reminded me of the faithfulness in uh, calling me to himself when I was seven years old, uh, when I uh, became, uh, uh, came to understand the gospel and profess faith even at that early age. By nine, year old, nine years old, I was already sharing with people that I wanted to be a minister. And although I, my teen years were something, uh, I, I say, lived on the end of the leash, uh, the, do, uh, the, the, the Lord would keep pulling me in and uh, until in my later teen years, the Lord dramatically uh, transformed my life, renewed my call and sense, and I've never set that aside since. 
In the meantime, I lost my father when I was 12 years old and left my mother essentially destitute. And yet we cobbled a living together with the help of Social Security, SSI, and, um, and some babysitting service that my mother uh, garnered during those days. And um, we were poor and never felt it. Um, and, um, and yet I learned God's faithfulness at times where we were on the edge of the precipice, uh, somehow and then some way God would meet our needs according to his riches and glory. And this legacy of remembrance became a great encouragement to me when my days um, were coming to an end of ministry, at least in, in, in the church, uh, in a called situation in a church, and um, uh, believing that the Lord would, who took care of us in our youth, would take care of us in the latter days of our life, and he did. Our psalm today, Psalm 71, is perhaps a commentary on Psalm 37:25, I will read it again. I have been young and now I am old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. It was written by a man, and I believe David, although it is not his name is not attached to this psalm. There is every reason to think that David was the author. It was written by a man such as him in his increasing years and dwindling health while facing the realities of those not-so-golden years of time. Would he be strong? Would he be useful? Would life continue to be meaningful in the days when Friends would depart one by one, and the specter of ill health would be knocking at the door. How would he stand for the Lord in these final years of his life? The psalm seems to address such things as that. But Psalm 71 is not just for old people. It's for everyone. It was intended for the church to sing and to prepare for the continuity of life because we will all be there someday if we have not already arrived there. Thankfully, we live in a day and a generation where most of us will probably see our three score and seven. And we can be very thankful to the the health care systems and the availability of such things that we have today that previous generations did not have. But life is precarious. It always has been. Even now, we are praying for young adults with cancers and, uh, and, and a very precarious future is in store for them. We hope for the best, but we know what is before them. 
This psalm is for everyone who is growing old by the second and by the minute. So a couple of preliminaries before we look at the internals of it. The psalm has no title like most of the psalms seem to have and those titles uh, usually remark to whom the, the, the lyrics are given, uh, usually to the choir master who puts it to music so the church can sing it, as we sang this morning. The author is often identified, and half of the psalms are identified as authored by David. Many are certainly within a Davidic tradition, and some quite clearly are David's psalms, but they are not marked as such. One of the reasons why I think this is a Davidic psalm is because the first three verses are a direct quote from Psalm 31, verses 1 through 3, which are a Davidic psalm. And embedded in that psalm, in verse 15, is a verse that perhaps is one of your favorites as it is mine. My times are in your hands, which seems to be nice. a a line, a thought that can be nicely transported to this psalm in a thematic way as well. Many see a connection with the preceding psalm and perhaps the title of Psalm 70 simply carries over into Psalm 71. But that's a scholar's discussion, and we don't really need to resolve that entirely here. I'm simply probably going to drop David's name from time to time, as I think, along with others, that the psalm is definitely Davidic. One of the things that I find unique about this psalm is there's no standard outline. As I've been preaching through the psalms, I come to some psalms where every commentator agrees with the same outline. They know where it breaks up and, and how it divides out. and It's very nice. This one doesn't. Uh, you can read ten different commentaries and you can get ten different ways of approaching this psalm. But the theme jumps out at you. And that's where I'm going to dwell this morning. The themes, however, are common to Davidic psalmody. There's the ubiquitous enemies that are in so many of David's psalms as he is butting heads with those who are seeking to bring down his kingdom and compromise his God-given call as the messianic king. One can almost see in these conflicts through many of the psalms the continuing conflict of the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, which was laid out in Genesis 3.15. Because this is the design of the evil one to destroy the messianic king, to bring down his kingdom. And of course, David's as the messianic king was the mere forerunner to the one who would eventually rule over his throne and of his kingdom would be no end. And we are part of that kingdom and therefore we to find the conflict continuing because Satan would bring you down and me down as well because we identify with his forever kingdom. 
So here is an author who is up in years. There's the ubiquitous enemies. The steadfast love of God is, is, is breathes through it. The cry of desperation from the psalmist sounds very Davidic. Pleading for, for deliverance is something that pray, David prayed for time and time again. And yet we see the faithfulness of Yahweh, the living God, all the way to the end of his days as he reflects over his life from even before birth to where he is at now. And in that sense, this psalm can be most encouraging to us at any stage of life we find ourselves. One of the things that make this psalm unique, perhaps the most unique aspect, is that the author is up in years, and that makes this psalm unique, because its entirety is reflected by one who is at the door of eternity. Now here is an encouraging word in this psalm for all of us who are growing old. And I would maintain that's all of us in this room plus the ones that went downstairs or whatever direction they, they uh, pattered off to. Americans don't think much about the aging population. Uh, this, is, this is known. Most people, as they grow old, find themselves into a nursing home where few people relatively visit, or in a hospital wired up to gizmos and life-sustaining respirators until they no longer work, and they die in the presence of medical staff, often without family around. That wasn't the case when I was a teenager. My grandfather died in my bedroom as we waited for his demise after he had a stroke. He died with his family around him. And the, um, but we don't do very, we, we do very well at sustaining life, but we don't have a good sense of regarding those of age. We are a youth culture. We are a Greek culture. We hark back to the, the Greek statuaries of muscular men and, and voluptuous women. And uh, we've put a price tag on aging as we have put a price tag on just about everything. Not all cultures, though, are like the West. Many cultures still regard their aging population with great honor. For example, we served the Navajos for nearly 10 years and learned that they have a very different outlook toward the aging of their population. They will virtually, young men will often drop everything to make sure that grandma has water or a load of wood for the for the uh, heater in the house during the winter. And they'll do it 
perhaps dropping other responsibilities, which makes it somewhat frustrating for a, um, uh, a business that has uh, works on timetables and the like. And yet one cannot argue with the fact that many Native American populations have a, high regard, have a higher regard for the aging among them than Western populations. They're more biblical, even if they do not embrace the Bible. The Bible says, stand up before the gray head and honor the face of the old man, and you will fear, and you will fear you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. Proverbs 16:31. Gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in the righteous life. The glory of the young men is in their strength. The splendor of the old men is their gray hair. Or I might add, their no hair, whatever the case may be. So the key text here is verse 9. It's the verse that really drives it. It, it brings us into the, the world of the writer and leads us to believe that he is a man of years. And perhaps David, when he has ended his life and somewhat yet infirmed, verse 9 says, Cast not me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. Fundamentally, this is a prayer by an aged person who knows the weal and woe of life, has experienced the faithfulness of the love of God, has witnessed the Lord's sustaining grace over a lifetime, and now considers what all of this means for his final days of eroding strength and endless conflicts. He is praying, we might ask the question, is he praying this out of fear or out of faith? I think quite clearly it's the latter. He is a man whose faith has been resilient and strong. Even as his faculties diminish due to age, in the manner of Ecclesiastes 12, 1 through 8, which calls us to remember our Creator in the days of our youth before the days of evil come, the days of dim-sightedness and tottering legs and the like before the silver cord is broken. He knows the Lord remains His rock and His refuge. Clearly, He is resting in the Lord in these days. And He possesses the advantage of both experience and perspective, which only can take years to acquire. Psalm 90, verse 10, is a classic statement of this sort. The years of our life are 70, or even by strength 80, yet their span is but turmoil and trouble. They soon are gone, and we fly away. There is a core thought here that is developed. 
of which all the psalm revolves around. And if you look at the verses 17 through 22 in particular, that, that's where the meat of this psalm is developed. Let me read it again. O God, you, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to my old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who come. Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness. These are encouraging words. These are words that will take you through life. Wherever you are at, even right now, they will take you to the end of your days. And they may not seem to resonate in a great way at, at, at a particular youthful days, but they are important for us to hide in our heart because we are all growing old. Our Lord remains faithful through every season of life. That's one thing that comes out loudly and clearly here. The following meditation, which I just read, are for those who are growing old by the second, by the day, by the month, and by the year. Dane Ortland says this is the prayer of a saint in winter who is in his old age realizes that life is mostly over for him. Isaiah 46, verses 3 and 4, express similar thoughts. Listen to me, O house of Israel, who have, born, who have been born by me before our birth, even to your old age, I am he, and to gray hairs I will carry you, I have made... And I will bear, I will carry, and will save. Again, as we contemplate such words in this psalm, we find that they are encouragements through every season of life. And yet three things jump out here. Three aspects of that aging process, as it were. Number one... Troubles persist to the end of our days. David begins speaking of the troubles that still exist in the latter days of his life. In you, O Lord, I take my refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have, been, you have given the command to save me, for you have been my rock and my fortress. Verse 4, 
Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked. Indeed, troubles do persist. Enemies come in many forms and many shapes and sizes. And in David's case, it was often those enemies that resisted his kingdom. You ain't say those political enemies that just wouldn't let go. They would keep nibbling at his heels, even to his latter days. But enemies can be less defined. It can be the enemy of illness of loss, of loneliness. can be the enemy of death, which is the last enemy that will one day be utterly destroyed, for which we can all be thankful. But remembering God's faithfulness in the past helps us face the uncertainties of the future. And that's what this psalm is calling us to do. To remember as we move forward into the unknown. Vern and Azalee Loken were an aged couple in our church in Hinckley. Azalee had Alzheimer's. She was left in a nursing home not recognizing any of those whom she once laughed and cried with. She sat slumped over in a chair with a drip on her chin. And every single day, Vern would get in his car in the morning and drive up to the nursing home where she resided in Sandstone and wipe her chin and feed her breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then come home. And that was his life. He had a very different kind of enemy that was there all the time, this dark cloud, which one might simply call loneliness, care. Azalee eventually went home to be with the Lord where she regained all that she lost and more. And a year later, Vern followed her. Not all old age is like that. But you know and I know that many cases it is. Troubles persist. There's really no such thing as the golden years, whoever came up with that silly idea. I suppose it was supposed to be world travel, endless wealth that has been accumulated over a lifetime, but that's a very few people, even they suffer many enemies. But here's the encouragement. Though troubles persist, God remains. He doesn't go anywhere in your life. He is more real to you than he has ever been. He is perhaps even more faithful than you have ever perceived him to be. 
And this is essentially and fundamentally the privilege of those under the covenant of grace or what we would call the gospel or God's steadfast love, which never fails, it never shakes, it never perishes. Some of the most precious promises in Scripture resonate as the years go by. Such promises, I will be your God, and you will be my people. Or, I will forgive your sins and remember them no more. When the guilt of life's failures are whispered by the evil one in your ears, even as you are breathing your last breath, The voice of the Savior, Jesus, says you are forgiven. And don't we rehearse that every Sunday as we confess our sins? Hear the promise of the gospel. And why do we do it every week? Because life has a way of causing the light of the gospel truth to become dim. And we need to hear it regularly. How about this promise? I will never leave you or forsake you. These are fundamental biblical promises. We, we read in, in Psalm 102, verses 25 through 28, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change. Change them like a robe. And they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. And their offspring shall established shall be established before you. Those very verses are quoted in Hebrews chapter one with respect to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is the one to whom we are united in all of his promises, not one of them can ever fail. The psalmist's life as yours is a museum of God's faithfulness. When you're young, you have just a few relics in that museum. But the older you grow, the years go by, God's faithfulness accumulates to you. And as we reach a season of years, we have a place to visit and recollect and ponder over the faithfulness of the Lord in our lives. A collection of memories that have built up over a lifetime of God's goodness and grace. And if troubles persist to the end of our days, 
God also remains to the end of our days. And because the gospel is true, hope endures to the end of our days. Verse 5, for you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have learned from before my birth that you are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually for you. Hope endures. Verse 14, but I will hope continually and I will praise you yet more and more. Worship is born out of such hope that has been established in our heart. The Bible says that the hope, hope is the anchor of our soul that provides for us something that is firm and secure. Hope is why we tell the story. It's why the, the aged David is rejoicing and trusting the Lord, he says in verse 18, until I proclaim your might to another generation. That is the storytelling role of the church, to tell the story of Jesus, to keep the gospel hope before our eyes and testify to the world of the same that they too can enjoy this hope. I was thinking this morning as I was joining this congregation in its wonderful singing and songs, as we walk out of a world that's so uncertain, this morning my grandson left to be deployed with the National Guard, the Red Bull Division, to Kuwait. And then one doesn't have to watch the news very much to realize there's a lot of jittery things going on in the Middle East. And we hate to see our loved ones have to be part of our interests there. But we come to church and for a moment all seems right. All seems well. All seems to be oriented. It's why the psalmist in Psalm 42 and 43, for reasons that are undeclared, was unable to go and worship the Lord, cries out to the Lord, longing that he might be part of that worshiping community once again that he can't be because of age, infirmity, or exile, or some other reason. Hope is why we tell the story. I will proclaim. Hope is why we worship. It's why we sing. It's why we put such a premium on lifting our voices in song and doing it well. Because hope endures. The reading, or the song that we sang this morning on Psalm 71, fell short of verses 22 to 24. Allow me to read them as they were, because this is how the psalm ends. It, 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 in the midst of this, uh, this aged psalmist, 
So he remembers God's faithfulness and God's righteousness. He ends in worship, and that is why we worship. I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips shall shout for joy. My, I will sing when I sing praises. My soul also, which you have redeemed, for they have been put to shame who disappointed, who sought to hurt me. One of my favorite quotes from J.I. Packer, the late J.I. Packer now, passed away to glory, uh, maybe short of two years now, wrote this, I do not suppose that I am the only evangelical who finds that the actual exercise of worship, that is, the deliberate lifting of one's eyes from man and his mistakes, to contemplate God and His glory grows increasingly precious as the years go by and brings solace and refreshment to the Spirit in a way that nothing else can do. I remember the days of my youth where I would be tapping my watch wondering if it was moving fast enough. Perhaps you have too. I find myself in these years anticipating worship as central and not going long enough. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to keep you any longer here this morning. But keep that in mind. How firm a foundation we sing, ere down to old age, all my people shall prove my sovereign, eternal, unchangeable love. And when hoary hairs shall their temples adorn, like lambs they shall still in my bosom be born. Praise God. John Calvin wrote a remarkable work in the in institutes but within that there book three I believe there were five chapters that have often been taken out and printed um, separately under the rubric uh, the Christian life and one of those five chapters as a habit and a discipline of the Christian life is thinking much about heaven. He says as he begins that chapter, in whatever trouble comes to us, we should always set our eyes on God's purpose to train us to think little about this present life and inspire us to think more about the future life. One of the advantages of the aged saint is that heaven is not, he is knocking at heaven's door. He or she is knocking at heaven's door. And what's on the other side smells sweeter 
than it has ever in his entire life or her entire life. May God bless us and keep us and bring his word to bear in our lives. Amen. This has been a ministry of City Life Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. We hope you were encouraged by this teaching. Thank you for listening and please contact us at info at citylifetc.org if we can be of service to you. Peace be with you.